Menders, episode 28, Mental Health Revolution with Aaron Gibb. Somebody is doing the thing that people want intuitively, they feel, but that it doesn't feel possible because no one's no one's doing it here, no one's ever done that, it's too expensive. When people start truly brainstorming in the way it was actually in- intended at the beginning, a true brainstorm where you do not limit anything, you just throw it all out there, things like it's too expensive, people start to actually come up with ideas when they're not, when that isn't a limit. You're listening to Menders with clinical psychologist and leadership consultant, Dr. Nicola DePaul. Each week, get a dose of real world inspiration from free thinking leaders, top clinicians, healthcare innovators, and myself. Looking for quick fixes or standard management tools? Try someplace else. Motivated to maximize the resilience and diversity of your team? Sustain your momentum as a leader and transform your healthcare system? Welcome to Menders. Welcome to Menders. Today we have Erin Gibb. And Erin, you're a therapist. You're also a therapy practice owner, a therapist coach, and you're the host of the Therapist Expanded podcast. So I am so delighted to have you with me today. Thank you for being here on Menders. It's my pleasure. I'm very excited to be here. Awesome. And I invited you here to kind of think out loud with me about how do we start to reimagine caring for each other, caring for our healthcare organizations, and starting to think about our healthcare organizations or systems as living healing organisms that, I guess, by nature, help us care for each other and uh, the individuals that we care for as well. So I'm really thrilled to be having this conversation with you. Ditto. I can speak a lot to that. Awesome. I'm counting on it. So would you just share a little bit about yourself, who you are, you know, what led you to be where you are focusing on all these kind of therapy and therapy coaching related things? It's been a bit of a journey. Um, How did I get into all this? I'm going to kind of meld them together. And I think it'll end up where I am now and who I am now, because I certainly didn't start out where I am now. I started out needing a job in the mental health field. So finished my master's, single mom. Um, My province in Canada was going through a big restructuring with governing therapists. So I started looking for my dream job. And it turned out I thought it was where I live and it was actually in the Arctic. And so I thought, well, okay, what have I got to lose? So I went to the Arctic and it was like being thrown in the deep end of the pool and asked to just stay there indefinitely. It was wild. So I had done my internship at that point with um, people with a lot of trauma. So it wasn't that I was new to working with people who had experienced a lot of trauma, but it was a completely different culture and a completely different kind of trauma, I would say, broadly intergenerational in a different way, working with many First Nations, Indigenous population. Um, And so what happened was I had to think completely outside the box 
all of my very neat and tidy rat race western ideas had to be put aside. So I learned a lot, did a ton of training, and what I started to notice was how ill I was becoming working in a system for the government. And so after years of doing that, I realized it was unsustainable and I couldn't affect change the way I wanted. So I left that career and opened a practice, a solo practice, where I kind of vowed to not repeat many of the things I saw happening there, like burning out, just looking at things in what I think should be the reverse order of the way we generally do in organizations, like putting the client first, the organization last, and the therapist is just sort of swallowed up in the middle. And then often there's just mass turnover. So when I worked for myself, I centered things around freedom for me. And not right away, took some time. I was deeply indoctrinated, but then eventually I got it kind of working. And fast forward in during COVID, I joined with a business partner. We both had thriving private practices solo. And we came together to realize a larger vision. And while doing that, we reversed it. So we really wanted to put the organization like a living entity. Then the therapists, who are all their own business owners, we wanted people to be mentored and stay well. And then it it sounds like we're putting the client last, but we are kind of, but also we're putting them in the place that is most sustainable, which is that if the organization is healthy, focusing on wellness, if the therapist is healthy and has the utmost freedom and is excited to work and is well and can set all their hours and time off, then the client gets such better service and it's actually sustainable. Their therapist is much less likely to need to go on leaves and, you know, turn over in that role. And then it led me to where I am now, which is I love mentoring therapists in staying well, being free, and blowing past this conditioning and these ideas of limits. Wow. You got me thinking about a whole variety of things there. But I wonder, would you just say a little bit more about this whole living, breathing organism? Because that is not how we normally think about our healthcare organizations, which we, at least if you're me, I tend to think of them as, you know, largely rigid, role-bound, and often not life-giving. I guess it comes back to just the simple reality that if you don't take care of a business, then you don't have jobs and you don't serve anybody. Hey, if you're listening to this and you're not sure how to get started to address burnout and create a culture of well-being in your organization, or you've been working on this for a while, but you're not quite happy with how things are going and you're looking for a roadmap and someone to support your team through this process, listen up because this is for you. Investing in your people is the smartest thing your healthcare system can do. Whether you have a tiny system or a large complex department, there are focused actions you can take to transform your organizational culture from burnout to well-being. Head over to Mending Health Systems 
and join me now. I work with leadership teams to simplify and demystify this process so that you can feel really good about the efforts you're putting out in the world and so confident that your investments in employee engagement and team well-being will pay dividends. I will make this process so much easier for you, I promise. Head on over to MendingHealthSystems.com and join me today. So in that way, it really can't be overlooked. It's like put your oxygen mask on first. It goes against much of our conditioning and our intuition. I mean, if you imagine really being on a plane with your own child, everything in you is going to say, put that mask on that kid, but you'll pass out too fast. You've got to put it on yourself. So the the organization as a living entity is very much like that. If it is the last to be focused on and what's focused on first is the client, then it just can't remain well. And I think the other piece is it's a living entity because the culture in a practice, in an organization, in an agency is, I I believe, responsible for that turnover, for that burnout, for so many of the aspects of therapy that become problematic. It's not necessarily the root cause. I think it's a, it's a bit of a, a piece of it. But if the organization is unwell in different ways, then it starts to affect everything. And inevitably, it affects the clients. But it certainly affects the organization, the culture, the therapists, and then the clients, and then the community. Because in our reverse order, we really see how look after the clinic the therapists, the clients, and then they look after the community. It's the symbiotic. And we've seen it work because our referral rates skyrocketed to where now the community almost, I'm seeing it now actually, the community comes back and takes care of the clinic because we have no shortage of people who realize, oh, like you guys, we hear about ourselves everywhere we go. Like people know who my business partner and I are. We don't know them, but it's like, cool. Okay. Yeah. It's very interesting how it's this symbiotic. Yeah. And I could see you're kind of letting go responsibility for the outcomes and just letting the healing happen when you're caring for the, like your system, your community, your organization. So what does that look like in practical terms? Cause I'm assuming you're thinking beyond just the financial. Yeah. I think you said it right there is the responsibility. As I'm mentoring more and more therapists, what I see is it's around responsibility and power that we've been so deeply conditioned and that it blows up. So if we can't take the power that we have, whether it's with a client to own all the projections we will receive, if we can't really see the power we have, or if we can't see in an organizational level of the power we have in a community, uh, you know, the agency we have in many senses of the word, same with responsibility. If we can't get a handle on that, and I'll be honest, for me, power has become easier. It's taken time and lots of deconditioning. Responsibility, I still sometimes feel more responsible than I am. But looking at um, 
the model we're talking about with the clinic. Yeah, acting responsibly versus being responsible. I can only act responsibly with what's in front of me. So the clinicians I'm supporting, the business decisions, and it does take care of the community. If I were to go out and try to make everyone like us and really put my energy into maybe the traditional referral system, there's nothing wrong with advertising or any of that, but it feels like if we get our house right, then the trickle-down effect leads to client outcomes that are positive. Then they go and spread the word. Does that answer your question? Yeah, I mean, you're you're just, <laughs> I guess you're just sort of putting everything on its head <laughs> in terms of what we normally are thinking about, which, you know, I do think people are thinking about, well, the advertising and the marketing and making sure the clinic is, you know, running from that external perspective. But you are really talking about, or what I am hearing anyway, is like this inward focus, nurturing of the atmosphere, the culture, the people kind of knit together within that organization, and then just naturally allowing that wellness to kind of radiate outwards as people are impacted positively. 100%. We haven't advertised in quite a long time. A couple of things, though, is I would say getting our house right, as I'm calling it, getting the intention correct. We also really created spaces in the practice that are unusually pimped out. I don't know. Is that appropriate? <laughs> I love it. Um, how else? How else will I put? Yeah, okay, pimped out. Like we have really cool playrooms and we have adult sand rooms that wow. So that's pretty cool. But that's, again, within our sphere of influence. We couldn't control who we were going to bring in. I love marketing, by the way. I think it's amazing. But I also look at the business I'm building now with Therapist Expanded, and I create from the energy that I want to put out in the world. Some might call it the vibrations, the intentions. And on days where I'm not feeling great, or just like, I don't touch anything to do with Therapist Expanded. Nothing. I will not write a blog post. I will not edit. I will not come from that state. Because I know when you create something, whether it's a practice, a podcast, for me, and I've seen it with others, the alignment with what you're actually trying to create, for me, it's about a revolution for therapists. And I can't, that's a big energy. That's a big ask to revolutionize our field. So if I come in unclear about that, and I found with the building of the practice, that was mine and my business partner's role to be visionaries. So we've worked at empowering our admin staff to make way more decisions. We're still working on that because we've, you know, people go on mat leave and we're training new people. But the idea is to try to free up that visionary role. So we're not putting out fires constantly. It's pretty easy to own a business and put out fires and be really reactionary. Absolutely. No, I'm just, I'm laughing because I'm not, I mean, I don't actually run a therapy practice, but I am and have been for many years part of a variety of very large public health systems. And I think it is very common for healthcare leaders to get caught up in a reactionary cycle where they're also really focused on 
Like, what does it look like? Or, you know, how does it look like we're doing to the outside as opposed to thinking through what does it feel like to be within this organization? Or what are the connections between the people? What is the culture like? Can we be caring or caretaking, um, you know, for ourselves and allow that love and care and kindness to be radiating outwards? Yes, because then they'd have happy therapists who were not inclined to leave and maybe say negative things by, I'm not judging anyone for doing that, but that ripple effect does start from the inside out. So you, you, you mentioned a big phrase earlier and I'm really intrigued. So you said mental health, I think you said mental health revolution. And Mm -hmm. what do you mean by that? What, what is, what is that? Oh, that's, that's so exciting. It's my passion. As I've seen now with mentoring therapists and helpers and healers and what happens is because we've been so conditioned and there's specific industry conditioning, there's specific gender conditioning, going back to that power and, and responsibility thing, when we work in the traditional model, what happens is we do a lot of toleration of things, we do a lot of self-sacrificing And all of that is kind of expected and it's the status quo. But a mental health revolution to me comes from therapists, caregivers, healthcare providers, professional helpers, ending that toleration, putting their needs first because it actually will help everyone. When we not only find our dreams, we we mine for them because they can be hard to access when we have this outside in perspective versus inside out, they're not easy to find. They're so blocked because we should be doing the life we thought others wanted or we wanted when we were eight or whatever it might have been. You know, I had a 1980s business suit image always as a kid, right? So that to me was success a power suit with like a skirt and bad heels. So then I woke up and was like, no, this doesn't look like that. Uh Uh-oh, my ego loved that. It knew what to do. I know how to self-sacrifice and put everybody else first and be overly responsible and disempowered and hate it. I know how to do that. Most therapists do know how to do that. So the point I'm coming to here is when we find our deepest dreams and desires and we go after them, Why it creates a mental health revolution is, one, we start thinking differently. We get out of these systems and we build our own. We make what we want. And then all of the clients we serve, I can't even put into words what I've seen. When we get outside of that status quo conditioning, everyone we serve can too. The limits they have seen. When we blow past them, they do. It's the young yin concept that will take clients as far as we've gone. Part of why I'm doing this is because I've actually seen it as I continue to push the envelope for myself. I see it in everybody I serve around me that they, they have access to something and the people I surround myself with to mentor me are so far past where I am so that I can go, Ooh, like that is possible. It blows past the conditioning of what's possible. Um, And so there's a lot of ways to do that, but that to me is the mental health revolution in a nutshell. It's to 
live your deepest dreams and desires fully and freely as a healer doesn't just help you and your family. It helps your organization and it absolutely helps your clients blow past all their barriers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's beautiful. I think, um, you know, for, for me, when I am truly myself in a space with someone I'm working with, I think it really, it's easier for me or maybe more easeful for me, more pleasurable for me. And I think it's really empowering for the person who I'm with because it allows them or empowers them to fully, fully embrace and, and bring themselves fully into the space, which I really value. And I think for me, that's where a lot of the meaning is in my work. I'm curious though, how do you, how do you expand this or, or how might you, um, kind of talk about that or conceptualize that revolution for people who aren't necessarily therapists, but who are still in the healing role? How, how might you help them to see that too? I think it would be around responsibility and power would be that being a professional healer helper, whether you're talking about being a nurse or even you could go outside of professional and you could even look at just a parent or a caregiver to an elderly person, whomever they are, it's very easy to self-sacrifice and think that that's what's best. We are so conditioned for to be a martyr. And yeah, yeah you're laughing, especially as women. Mm. I mean, I think we're starting to shift, but for a long time, women have been asked to be moms and now have full-time jobs and still come home and do much of the caring and do much of the, the women's work. It And I see it and it doesn't seem to matter how um, liberal couples are. It just, from working with couples, it's the stuff you hear. Yeah, I see you shaking your head. It's like, this is deep conditioning. So I think it would apply to us as a society, to be honest. We didn't come here to this life to pay bills and die and get the pat on the back that never comes for waiting for the time that you will receive a reward for living the life society told you you should do. Waking up one day and living someone else's life because of all the shoulds. I mean, think about how many times you've talked to a client and they've told you, I did everything I was mm -hmm. supposed to do. Mm -hmm. Now they're at midlife going like, I'm so miserable. On paper, my life looks real great, but like I'm deeply unfulfilled. They didn't do what they wanted to do. You can even hear the five regrets of the dying. Do you know that book? I don't. I can't think of the author right now, but to put it in a nutshell, talk about another helping career. The woman who wrote it was a palliative care nurse. And she, ooh, got goosebumps. I've got goosebumps. She pulled many people who were on their deathbed, and she really took the five regrets that were the most common. And the most common one was, I really wish I had lived the life I wanted not what I thought others expected me to do. That was it. That was the number one regret. Yeah. Yeah. I was laughing because I can just, I can really identify with everything you're saying. And I've seen it around me as well. But my husband and I had the recent experience of having a weekend where I did everything I thought he wanted to do. And he was trying to do things because he thought I wanted, it was a disaster. It was 
absolutely, (laughs) no one ended up happy because no one was doing anything that we wanted to do. And, but it is so easy, I think, to fall into that trap because of our socialization. And, you know, I certainly see for myself as a clinician, just how easy it is to fall into, you know, not taking sick leave or not taking a lunch because I have this kind of overburdened sense of responsibility. And yet when you bring it back to, well, what can you actually control? I can't actually control what anyone's going to do, but I can control what I'm doing in this moment or how I care for myself. And when I care for myself, I mean, that, I think that really transforms things for me and it puts me in a position to be, I think, providing much more integrous care to those who I'm working with. I would a hundred percent agree. Yeah. It, it is the nature of things to seem to need to look after our own needs. So that then can balloon out into empowerment and the lack of limitations around that. It's amazing where we can go once we step outside of that conditioning. It doesn't mean it's it isn't there. Because, I mean, as we know, conditioning will be there. It's recognizing it, stepping outside of it, the places we can go as humans. In the coaching I do, it's more about let that conditioning all be there. You don't even have to heal it. Go past it. So that be like a snake. A snake just outgrows its skin. Right? It doesn't need to go back in the skin and maybe just see how its mother is related to that skin. And I, I mean, I love healing. I love therapy. But... For really high-functioning people, this is where I see coaching kind of differs, is that we can expand instead of heal because we've done a lot of healing. That's awesome. But now we can go, there you are, conditioning, thank you so much, and yet I'm going to be in the realm of infinite possibilities and see what I actually want. It surprises people what they actually want because we often don't even let ourselves go there. Yeah, having desires. So how do you help the people that you coach go there and have the the courage to care for themselves in that radical way? That's a big question. I think it starts, the podcast to me is about the educational piece because we haven't gone there so much as a society. A lot of what I'm saying, it resonates for people. They're like, yeah, oh my goodness. But they haven't necessarily found it everywhere they go. So that's the psychoed piece because we all have a mind and it it feels more at ease about taking the leaps when it's like, why am I doing this? Yeah, okay. So I know why I'm doing this. Yep. Freedom, responsibility. I can totally identify with perhaps what we're saying right now. So it's psychoed. It's a chance to hear a bunch of therapists to do to hear them because the whole podcast is everybody coming on and saying Here's where I've really like bungee jumped in life. And here's where I've seen the edge and gone like, I just want to live about a mile away from it. I can't. We've all done that. So that's the first part is just offering that. The actual coaching is a lot more about that expansive work, which is let's go to the heart of what your being most wants. Let your mind, your ego, all those protective personality parts be there. But let's go way past that. And that's usually experiential. And it's different how different people relate to it. And so it's hard to give you like a clear answer because it's the moment. Um, But 
it's visualizing, it's meditative, it's mindfulness-based, um, in a nutshell. But really what happens is once people have access to that, what's always been there and has been showing up in different ways. I once worked with a woman who was staying up all night on Facebook. Little kids at home had to get up early. Every day she'd wake up and go like, why am I abusing myself like this? When we looked at it differently and did some experiential work, she craved freedom so strongly from the deepest place inside of herself. Now her ego went like, I know how to get you freedom. Let's go on Facebook all night. It's awesome. That's not how it was interpreted by her being. It was interpreted by her mind and her ego went like Facebook all night. But when she went into her being and realized like, this is about freedom. I need actual freedom. It's a totally different conversation. So we look at getting to that place that is hard to get to because it's covered by the mind and all the thinking and the shoulds and the marching band that that is. You know, the beings sending us very quiet postcards constantly, but it's not attached to whether we open them or not, right? For anyone who's, you know, if you know what I mean by being, it's such a different way. It's expansive. It's completely different brain areas are activated, totally different brain waves. It's all about the state we're in. So once we have that and we realize what it is, recently I did a coaching session and it was about, the person was shocked, but it was about joy. They realized that they weren't creating from joy, but they had to create from joy and they had all these visions come to them. And so once they did that, we develop what's basically like a North Star. And then you have discernment because we'll drop back into conditioning so fast. It's why I focus more on expansion than healing. Expand past then learn how to implement that in your life and go back to the feeling and the felt sense and the, the anchor and measure your decisions against that. Does this feel joyful, for her example? It's so easy to tell uh, once you've practiced this. It's like, definitely not. Okay, how? let me come back into that vision, that sort of anchor, that feeling. Okay, I know exactly what I need to do. It's like a course correction that doesn't require years of therapy, although we could have that and we may end up in a different place, right? Back, we'll actually probably just end up in joy closer to the surface, but it doesn't actually require undoing all the conditioning that wants to pull us away from it. It requires going back in, finding it again, and then having discernment. And then that builds the life we want because every single decision we make is now from that place. Yeah, that's beautiful. I'm just, I'm thinking about this recent experience that I had where I was frustrated. I don't even remember about what, but it was some work situation and I had just felt like physically heavy and almost ill like for a few days. And I finally realized like, oh, I'm taking on this heaviness or like this feeling of misery kind of by choice to um, like let myself feel how serious the situation is. And I came to this realization in an instant. I was like, I could actually just let go of that heaviness and the ill feeling and still hold the seriousness of this thing, whatever it was, and yet not 
allow it to impact me in that same way. And I don't have to take it so seriously in order for, you know, me to make a decision or have some value conflict here, whatever, you know, whatever it was. Um, And it was so powerful because the moment I realized like, oh, I don't have to hold this whole thing. Like that heaviness just went away. And I, I think for me, it was like a letting go of the responsibility for the situation and taking just becoming responsible just for myself and my own response. And it was, it was really powerful for me. It's a wonderful example because it comes back to that state shift too, that once we go, oh, okay, I re-see this. Now I can regulate because now that I'm not holding that, I'm, I'm more regulated naturally. And boy, do we ever have access to so many more of our own choices then. Then we can make decisions differently. So do you teach um, or coach any non-therapists or people who are maybe less familiar with these skills? Well, the person I was referencing about joy, they're actually going to be on the podcast at some point with that session that we did. And they're technically not a therapist. They've worked in the mental health field, but they're more of a spiritual, spiritually informed guide. I guess you would say they do like shamanic healing. They have worked in mental health and addictions, but that's not what they would call themselves. But similar kind of conflicts, right? Building a private practice and the different things that come up when we're trying to launch something, for example, or when we're trying to market ourselves and, you know, parts of us come up and feel like hiding. Yeah, and it can be very, very stressful. And so what we put out into the world can be from that stress, from the shoulds and the musts and the how can I go out and do this as a non as a non-therapist. And so I think it's transferable to helpers and healers in general, because it really, when I think about it, it comes back to those core responsibility and power dynamics. And when I train students in like a therapy role, I recently heard myself out loud kind of, it was planned, but I heard myself out loud talking about the power that we really have. And I read a quote and, but the gist of it was that we have a lot of power and we talk about it in this field. We talk about the power, but we have a lot more than we want to hold often. And when we hold it, it actually changes something. And when we hold the projections, and so talking to the students, that that's hard to, for them to imagine. They've just been indoctrinated in the beginning of what I see as the issue, which is they just came out of higher education. <laughs> and that is a place that will make you feel about an inch tall. And it's incredibly hierarchical. And you have no power. And I, I get these contracts from these organizations to take on these students, and they're so grateful. And I... They just, they are like, I feel like they are legally binding to these students in a way where I have all the supreme authority and they have to do everything I say and they're really cringeworthy to me, but that's where they're coming from, right? They don't know anything. No one trusts them. There's hierarchy. So now I'm saying to them, you actually have a ton of power and you're about to start, you know, wielding it. So recognize that. And you can just see they're like, oh my God, 
I've just been told for six years that I'm not knowledgeable enough. I'm waiting for someone to tell me I'm a therapist and I'm good enough to do this and I know things because they think they know nothing. It's just this fascinating stuff. So whether you're a nurse or you're a coach or you're a therapist, it has a lot to do with those two things, power and responsibility. Yeah, I think a lot of people feel really disempowered and I don't, I guess I don't want to discredit that because I I do think a lot of people have Mm -hmm. little power and there's a, you know, a strong structure in place that people adhere to if they want to keep their jobs. And at the same time, something I've been thinking about or just kind of playing with is, well, I mean, maybe we can't change the structure, but maybe that doesn't mean we don't have power. So like, so I don't necessarily have a great question here, but I'm just recognizing that I have been thinking of this through and trying to reconcile in my own mind. Um, Like I work in a primary care setting. So a lot of physicians, nurses, pharmacists, and um, social workers, and then some other mental health colleagues as well. So it's like, how do people who are in this structure kind of reclaim that power while in a a responsible way while continuing to work in the system? That's a great question. There seems to be different phases because I know I went through something myself when working in an agency and I've supported a number of clinicians who um, were doing both, kind of working in an agency and doing private practice. And I was their supervisor at that time. And there seems to be different stages. It's interesting. I had someone on the podcast and they talked about this and I was like, yes, they were supervisors as well. And I was like, bingo. But coming back to two things. So I'll talk about the stages, but I think to answer your question, it fundamentally as a human, I think what it comes down to is learning to see the limitations of thinking and learning to see them as that. This is a limitation in thinking because actually humans are very unique in that we are not like many of the beings we look out into the world, the tree in front of me, the squirrels, they have the little butterflies I'm watching. Like a tree comes from a seed and it will turn into that tree with the right conditions, but that's all it will ever be. You and me are whatever we tell ourselves we are. That's it. And that has the utmost power or we can live on hell and hell on earth. I mean, that's up to us. Now, trauma comes in, conditioning comes in. It isn't about holding the person, you know, in this awful light. It's about, you know, holding people with zero negativity around that. But at the same time, realizing that if we feel powerless, then sometimes it it's really just about that, that's a, that there's limited thinking. We don't realize how many options we truly have. Even if it's that we change nothing, like you're saying, in our environment, and we change every way we look at it, or one way that we look at it, it doesn't take just the realization that we are limitless in many more ways than we think, maybe in every way, depending on who you ask, that the only limit we have is what we tell ourselves about ourselves. That can be paradigm shifting. Where I saw this in my life was when I worked in the North, I started in phase one, which is what I see with people working in agencies, any kind, private or or public, is first we blame ourselves. 
if maybe I just work harder, I'll be able to be less burnt out. You, you're laughing. Oh, you know, I've been there. <laughs> maybe, maybe if I just phrase it this way to my manager, or maybe if I just work this way, keep tweaking the schedule, keep keep tweaking the the self care, keep tweaking the. And sometimes it really isn't the person. It truly is a very ill organization. Now that's phase two where we go. Uh oh. Um, I'm never going to have my needs met here. But there's a chance to either amend the thinking, that's where we go to limitless options, even within that system, or we go, I'm going to leave, but I may not do it today. I'm going to start building a life that I really want, one step at a time. We all are in a different place there. But that seems to be phase two, where it's sort of like, oh, it's not me, it's you. Okay. Okay, so this is not supportive for human beings, because as we talked about, organizations usually do it what I think is backwards. So it inevitably squeezes the therapist. So phase one is kind of, it's not you, it's me. And we do everything we can to, you know, have agency, really. But then we realize, oh, no, it is you. And so then we have the choices of like, actually, I have limitless options. People will balk at this one. This is the hardest one to accept, is that actually we don't have all the limitations we believe. But, as I've heard from people, they're like, but what about insurance companies? And it's like, my coach likes to say, Google it. She'll say, go online and Google the thing you think is impossible. Someone is not only doing it, many people are doing it, and they're they're getting rich mm, at it, for example. They'll teach you how. So I've... Yeah, they'll teach you how. They'll just see that it's possible. And once we see something is possible, something changes. And that's that phase two. That's where people, in my case, I started listening to all kinds of private practice podcasts. I'm still in the agency, still working for the government. But hearing people doing it, taking the leap, that's how I got myself to where I knew I needed to go. Because once I accepted it wasn't me, I changed how I was operating but it still wasn't fulfilling enough for me. And maybe for some people just to shift some things to let go of some of the responsibility and then the job can shift. The third phase is usually that like shift. So some people maybe move up into a management role to have some more power over the organization. Other people leave. Some people may stay the same, but they have a shift in the thinking often around power and responsibility. Those are really key things to look for. Is this about power or responsibility that I'm having a challenge in this job when I'm talking about helpers? Yeah, I, I really appreciate that. And I, I, I guess I've, I have personally been stuck at definitely phase one and probably in phase two um, in my career. And maybe I'm, hopefully I'm in phase three right now, exploring much more about what capacity I really do have. But yeah, I really appreciate that because I, um, I consider myself to be in the privileged position of being um, kind of the middle of a hallway. So I hear um, unfiltered conversations that happen up and down the hallway. And, um, you know, there's a lot of wisdom. And there's also a lot of stuckness and frustration that I hear. For me, this perspective I have now has drawn me to coaching now and mentoring therapists, because this work with clients is difficult. For what I just said to you, that's not where clients are at, and that is perfectly fine. But I know myself, 
and to follow the what I'm saying, to practice what I'm preaching. I love clients and I used to wear it like a badge of honor that I would work with the most complex clients and that they had tried for many years and they'd they'd succeed with me, whatever that meant. Because I, I did a, a lot in the realm of complex trauma work. Now I teach that and that's awesome. But where people come in, in their healing journey, when I, I can't say this, I can't say you are limitless. Now I can, I can in some ways and I have with people and they hold on to that hope. They trust that I know what I'm talking about. And then I, I do experiential methods. So even complex trauma clients would have a moment of going, oh my God, there is a place in me that's completely well and I can shine that light out. But that takes time. So what I like to do now is work with really, I would say, I'm using air quotes, high-functioning people who can go, yeah, this is absolutely possible. And I totally understand what you mean about limitations as self-imposed. Not right away. There's lots of defensiveness. I still hit that too. But that's my role now, is to help people see that any limits we have, they are just thoughts. They're, they aren't usually reality and we, well, they're not reality and we can find someone out there doing it. Google it. I love that. So what, what comes to mind for me as a question is how do we help our healthcare organizations and healthcare leaders see that, see that we are limitless, that our options are so varied and broad and beautiful and empowering. I think it would be the macro level of what we were just talking about, that it takes look outside the box. So for example, perhaps it's the state you're living in or the province, or maybe it's the the country or the North American way. What comes to mind right now, and I'm not sure why, but my intuition is saying like, look up Finland. What is Finland doing? You know? So it's not that it's outside of possibility. It's that it's not done at their current organization or in the region Um, and people will say, well, Finland's so socialist. It's so expensive. Actually, it pays dividends, right? It it actually is expensive up front, socialist systems. I'm Canadian though. So what am I going to say about this? We're sort of in the middle there. But the point being that you can still use the same model. It takes looking outside the box and seriously, it's a real low, low bar. Like Google it. Somebody is doing the thing that people want intuitively they feel but that it doesn't feel possible because no one's no one's doing it here no one's ever done that it's too expensive when people start truly brainstorming in the way it was actually intended at the beginning a true brainstorm where you do not limit anything you just throw it all out there things like it's too expensive people start to actually come up with ideas when they're not when that isn't Mm -hmm. a limit Mm -hmm. right when that limit didn't come up and people came up with ideas and they googled it and saw that you know Finland and the Netherlands are doing this it's actually really interesting because I have one of the therapists I supervise lives now um, between the Netherlands and Paris like I think Rotterdam and Paris she's from Ontario actually she's from Nova Scotia but she lives there now she says it's incredible when she was doing her master's in the Netherlands she would put up her hand all the time and talk about liability And they would look at her and say, we don't think like that here. We know that, yeah. So she's like, you don't have liability insurance in a clinical setting? No. 
She said, we're a no-fault system. She said, as long as people are, we assume people are coming from the best interest. She said, if someone hurts someone, it's a criminal matter. So that's always covered. Right? And she was like, oh my goodness. And she said, what they can do in the Netherlands, the innovation is staggering. It's unreal. And I've been trained at one point by a Dutch psychologist in advanced EMDR methods. And I remember going, wow, not only was everyone in the room freaked out by how differently he thought, he was like, you guys are so scared. We were like, yeah, we're indoctrinated with liability fears, man. And he's like, doesn't it hold you back? And everybody's like, well, aren't you here seeing how scared we are to do what you're saying? It was amazing. But one thing, she's, she was working on a project with um, clients with or patients with dementia. They had set up a whole little community with a cafe, outdoor areas. It, it was like a home community. And people could freely wander around the space and people would be monitoring them. But what they found was the agitation and so many of the issues went away when people could just wander around what seemed like a little village. They didn't have to pay for anything. They just went, sat at a cafe, went and did this. It was all within a very controlled area. But in the Netherlands, this is the kind of research they're doing. It's just far ahead of us. So to answer your question succinctly, go and look for people who are already doing it. Yeah, wow. I love that. I just had such a vivid picture while you were describing that. And it it really does seem like maybe something different and something beautiful really is possible. Hmm. Wow. Well, my last question for you, even though I could I could honestly talk to you for another two hours, but um I'd love that. but what lights you up? What keeps your life meaningful and delightful for you? Well, it's sort of an interesting double-edged sword of what we've been talking about because I'm so into pushing past limits now in myself that I've come to a new realization that I still need to be very discerning because once I realized that almost everything I was telling myself was just a conditioned lie about life, I got so excited that it was like I could jump off a cliff without a parachute, right? It was like, oh, wait, so I still need to be mindful of burnout because what keeps me totally fired up is innovation, revolution, freedom. And so I have an endless supply of ideas. And in this kind of 3D reality, I don't have an endless supply yet of energy and time. Not that I don't believe that's possible, because we know that time actually is not linear. That's a physics principle. There's another example of where we live in a pseudo-reality. Also, the particles, we all know that what we're seeing perceptually is sort of a hilarious joke, But the, if you've taken high school physics. But the point of it is that when you start thinking like this, you can find deep meaning and joy and purpose, in my experience, in so much more. And I've learned from doing my genetic testing that I have um, a very typical Ashkenazi Jew brain. I am an Ashkenazi Jew, where we are sort of, we have more open dopamine pathways, many of us. So we are kind of like junkies for new ideas and anything that'll give dopamine. And so I can go on ideas forever and implement them, but I need to be mindful 
of that I am still a human who needs to <laughs> chill out a bit. And my husband is going to hear this one day, I think, and be like, oh, he'd have a lot to say. <laughs> He's like, when does it end? I'm like, I don't know. To when I'm dead, maybe. But so that's the thing. It takes discernment because so much now brings me purpose and joy because this I'm clear now on I'll follow revolution and freedom and go no to everything else. No, thank you. Almost everything else. It's like it's a hard no. But freedom and joy and revolution turns out to be um, infinite in its possibilities. So I just need to be discerning. But oh, there's so much that lights me up just doing this work with people and seeing them go like oh yeah I am so powerful and I'm not responsible for anyone but me my coach likes to say a saying where she will say nobody needs me ever that's what she says and when I'm bogged down in this disillusionment of responsibility I will say that now all my conditioning just goes wild because I'm a mom I own a group practice. I'm doing all these things, but nobody needs me ever. I love that statement. So some of those counterbalances to sort of not leave this planet. I I still try to stay grounded. And does that answer your question? It does. Yeah, that's beautiful. Okay. And I, I definitely can identify with that learning to not rein myself in, but to make sure I'm caring for myself on the regular and investing in my other values. Cause I, I also love this work and like these conversations sometimes keep me up at night because I just have so much energy afterwards. And yet I'm also a mom and I need to care for my own body and I need to do other things that are not intellectually stimulating. And, um, yeah, so I, I'm I am on that journey. I have not certainly mastered that, but I love I love all I of that. that. So thank you. You're welcome. It's the yin and the yang. I love the the yin stuff as well. Yeah, keeping that in balance, meditation, mindfulness. Yeah, that's my go-to anyway. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm I'm with you there. Actually, mindfulness is something I practiced for almost twenty years, and. Um, and I have also had several years where I kind of fell away from the practice and coming back to it is like, helps me to feel like myself actually. So it's really powerful for me too. Uh, well, Erin Gibb, thank you so much for being here. It is such a privilege and a delight to have had you today. It's been my pleasure. I could talk about these things endlessly. So my pleasure. And if this reaches anybody, that's, that's amazing. Thank you for listening. If you loved today's episode, head over to MendingHealthSystems.com and get started on your way to creating cultural transformation for your healthcare leadership team. And don't forget to follow the show and take a screenshot that you were listening. Tag me on LinkedIn at Nicola DePaul. I'd love to meet you. Show me some love over there. Let's create transformation. Thank you for listening to Menders. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to subscribe, leave a review, and share this episode with a friend. 
And don't forget to head on over to MendingHealthSystems.com to get started creating cultural transformation for your healthcare team today. Let's create transformation magic.